God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this third Sunday of Advent through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Might want to get these pew Bibles out. We're going to make use of these as we uh, look at Malachi. I read that whole book several weeks ago, so I'm not going to do that again, but we're going to uh, go to different parts of that uh, here in a little bit and also a couple other parts in the New Testament. Here comes the sun. Remember that song, right? And we also heard that from Malachi. And boy, could we use more sun during this time of the year, huh? Last week, I'm in the office, and it's almost 10 o'clock in the morning, and I look back out into the grove, and it was just so dark, almost like it was uh, still sunrise. If there are any Christians in this country who can relate to the light coming to lighten the darkness and all of that from Scripture, then it's got to be those of us who live in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know, maybe our brothers and sisters in the Northeast experience the same thing. I've never lived there. But I have lived in the Southwest, where one can relate to the first verse of our text from Malachi very well, where he says, The day is coming, burning like an oven. In a place such as Tucson, Arizona, there are days when you wake up and pray to God for a few clouds in the sky. You know, I would get up in the morning to go to work at the base, and, and I, you know, I could see that there was sunlight to the closed window blinds. Uh, and, and just before I would open them up to peer, I would pray to God, Lord, please, an overcast day, oh, son. And the Lord would hear my prayer maybe seven days out of the whole year. Now, I think we've got a physical advantage here in living here when it comes to understanding some of the spiritual things of God, you know, especially when it comes to sun and light and warmth and radiance and glory. Summer come quickly. Today we took, uh, well, we're going to look at a, a, take a closer look and anticipate even more our Savior's second coming. The grand finale of history, right? Our final victory and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just to divert for a minute on that, because I think you've heard that many times in church, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, of the lamb. I say that all the time in the prayers and the collects and whatnot. But I'm not sure we really, you know, might always remember what that means. It's kind of a, it's one of those churchy phrases, you know, um, and really, it's kind of a Christian code word, actually, uh, that means something much more than what it sounds like. Not that it's a, a secret code, but marriage supper of the Lamb means that on the last day, when you and I are raised up, you know, Christ is going to return, descend from heaven, and there's going to be, he is going to unite himself with his church more than in a way that you can't even, we can't even possibly imagine, right? And it's going to be a different kind of marriage. It's not going to be like the kind of marriage that God established on earth, you know, to populate the earth and that man and woman would help each other through life. It's not going to be that kind of marriage. It's a different marriage where Christ will unite himself to his bride, the church, you and I, in blessed union and eternal life together. And there will be a feast, right? Because when you go to a wedding, what do you do? 
They have a big meal together, right? And so there will be a marriage supper feast on the last day. Something to look forward to. Christ came to us in Bethlehem, and while he has been with us ever since, he will return again. At the same time, he's here and yet will return again. Not to be born again as a little child, as a baby, but descending from the sky, a grown man, complete with the marks of his crucifixion and his hands and his feet and his side. Malachi longed for the sun. Not the sun in the sky. He had plenty of that where he, where he lived. You know, it was rarely a, uh, rarely a cloudy day there too and lots of heat. No, he longed for the Son of God. He lived during the spiritually dark days of the Persian domination of Judah, about 400 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. And the darkness was everywhere. Malachi's cohorts, these priests of Israel, were saying some pretty dark things, and that's where we're going to open up to page 827. Because if you try and find Malachi in this thing without any tab helps, you're going to be, we're going to be here for a long time. So page 827, what was Malachi's priestly colleagues saying about the darkness? Okay, so chapter 1, verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar, and this is the Lord saying this, but you say, how, you know, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. The Lord's table is, imagine the priests of Israel saying the Lord, you know, imagine Christian pastors today telling you this table is contemptible. All right, what else? Uh, Malachi chapter 3, that's going to be the next page, verse 14. A, a page 829 actually. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have, been, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? It's vain to serve God? Can you imagine if I told all of you who serve the church in various ways, your work is in vain. Don't bother. We'd have a problem, wouldn't we? Yeah. These are dark words. And at the root of all of it is this expression in uh, chapter 2, verse 17. So it's the previous page here, 828. Go down to the bottom left of the page. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? People were saying, God, you say that you'll come and right all the wrongs, heal every hurt, vindicate your people and defeat your enemy, but none of this has happened. Oh, and then look at um, uh, three, chapter 3, verse 15, 829. So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. Yes, those who tempt God go free. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. You know, we know this kind of cynicism and sarcasm today because we think it and we say it too. 
Where is the God of justice? Why do such terrible things happen in this world? Why do people closer to the home experience these things? Why do I have to experience these terrible things? Why doesn't the church speak up for these people and those people? Why doesn't it right all the wrongdoings according to the way I think that should have happened? If God is just, then where is he? Where is the evidence of his justice? You know, sometimes the sin in us can cause this misconception. And misconceptions can be funny to fatal. For example, a colleague of mine was recently telling me about his five-year-old son who wanted to play gas station attendant with the family car in the driveway. You know, somehow he managed to open the gas can, the the little hatch for the gas cap, undid the cap, and got the garden hose, stuck it in there. And just as he was about to turn on the water, my friend says, Stop! I said, you know, that's funny. I did the same thing when I was 18 years old and should have known better. (laughs) You know, one of my first jobs in the Air Force was driving a forklift. And a fuel guy came to to fill the thing up with gas. And I figured the cap right behind me, right behind the driver's seat, was where the gas went in. And apparently the, uh, the other guy, the fuels guy, didn't know, and he didn't know any better either. Uh, he was just out of high school like me, uh, even though he, was, he should have been the expert, you know. And so he opens the cap and puts the nozzle in. And thank God there was somebody standing around that knew what, what they were doing. Because just as he was about to push, pull the thing, we hear this, No! That's the radiator. You know, if we'd have filled that radiator up with gasoline, I I could have been sitting on a time bomb and I would not be here in front of you today. Misconceptions, they can be humorous. They can also be damaging. They can also be fatal. It's a fatal misconception to believe that Christ will never return. That his promises are null and void, that there is no final victory. It's a fatal misconception to say evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they get away with it. Why is that? Well, Malachi says, here comes the Son. And we know and believe in the Son of God. We know that and believe that He is life. He gives it. He brings it. He sustains it. There is no other one who does that, and there is no other alternative to living. You either have life from Jesus, or you'd have death. Now, Malachi's people, Israel, you know, they weren't valuable people in the eyes of the nations around them. They were despised, hated. But God loved them so much that he calls them his, well, let's find out. Let's go to, in your pew Bibles here, let's go to page 1033. We're going to go into the New Testament now, into Titus, which we don't read very much. Very short letter. 1033, what does God call us? All right, so Titus chapter 2, verse 14. That's on 1033, the very bottom. 
Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. All right, and this isn't the only place it says this, so let's go to page 1049, skipping a little bit here to 1 Peter, page 1049, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here it is again, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He calls us his dear special people. Treasured possessions is another way to translate it from the Greek. You are so valuable to him. He restores us and will raise us up and make all things new. Now, the Bible isn't clear about all the finer details of what life's going to be like on the new heavens and the new earth. But this much is clear. Our future, the future of all believers, is glorious. Glorious. That's good news. How so? Well, let's go back to Malachi. Malachi 4, verse 2, page 829. If you go back to page 829, you're going to land on Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And this is how our future is glorious. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow. Well, this is a little different than jumping like calves out of the stall. You shall grow fat like stall-fed calves. Apparently, that will be a good thing in heaven. (laughs) The son of righteousness will bring With him a new day. When every hint of darkness will be scattered. All gloom will be gone. And the night of terror and dread will be forever banished. On that day our righteous standing by faith will become clear. Finally. Just like the shining sun in all its brilliance and beauty. The sun of righteousness will also bring healing in its wings. Physical healing. And also Mental, spiritual healing. And we all need more of that. We all need more of Jesus in that healing. He will restore everything that we have lost. All our years of pain erased. Every tear and disappointment wiped away. There will be healing for people broken by divorce, abuse, illness, death and loss. In the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will erase our lifetimes of hurt and pain and brokenness. And we will see him as he is in his full glory. Still, though, the hands and feet pierced by those who crucified him. We will hear his words of welcome. And this is the last time we're going to go into this today. Page 859, which is going to get you into the book of Matthew. Page 859, what will we hear when we stand before the throne on the last day? Uh, That's going to be Matthew 25, verse 21. There we are. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
That's good news. All of this will be ours on that day and so much more because the son who once slept in a manger finished his work of salvation for you and me. When the son returns again, Malachi says, you shall go out leaping like calves released from the stall or be like fat ones in the stall. (laughs) Critics deny that Jesus is going to return. Cynics and mockers laugh at the very idea of it. We know this already. Others say it's just religious mythology, but the truth stands solid as a rock and soon to be fulfilled. On that great day when Jesus returns, we will all celebrate with great joy when we shout, Here is the Son. God, make it so. And may the peace which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.